0: Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here and on behalf of my wife Erica and all of our staff and volunteers, so glad that you made it out with us today, especially if you are a guest with us for the very first time. I mean, we're so happy that you're here. I always invite our guests to come at least three times. Everybody say three times. Here's why is because I know when you go to the place that you've never been to, sometimes you don't get the right experience on the first experience, right? And so we invite you come back at least three times, check us out, and see if this is a maybe your spiritual family. We found out a lot of people really do enjoy it here, and so want to welcome everybody watching on Facebook Live as well. If you're watching in your PJs in digital land, so happy that you're with us. Also, if you have your phones, go ahead and pull them out and let them uh, go and check in on Facebook. We do that on a regular basis. It's been funny to kind of hear some of the stories that have come out of that. You know, some people will be like, "You go to Rise Church? We always wanted to check it out. Let's go together." and then you all go eat after, uh, after, the, you know, after the service. And so my wife told me to stop using Denny's because nobody goes to Denny's. So I'm like, okay, my bad. So wherever you go, you know, I, just Starbucks. So anyway, so uh, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 19 today. Matthew is a book in the New Testament. It's kind of towards the second half of the Bible. Uh, the, the New Testament starts out Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, they're really the story of the life of Jesus. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, and uh, it's going to be a great, great part of scripture that we're going to teach today. We're in the middle of a series called Scared to Death. And the reason we wanted to talk about that, you know, obviously it's the season of uh, kind of fear right now, October and Halloween and all the kind of scary things are going out. But, you know, it really got me thinking about how many times um, I have made in my life uh, bad decisions or regrets that I might have had simply because I was afraid. Now, how many of y'all have ever made a decision in your life? You look back, you regretted, or it was a bad decision. You look back and you're like, man, I did that because I was scared. I mean, we do that on a regular basis so God has something to say about that. So in week one, we talked about uh, how God says, don't fear, don't be ruled by the spirit of fear. In week two, we talked about the fear of rejection. And then week three, last week, we had a guest speaker in who was one of my pastors. His name is Todd Hendricks. He pastors a church in California. And he, he had a great message on what do you do when you have the fear of just real things in real life? What do you do? And he had a great four-step process. I highly encourage you to go back and check out the podcast. But today, we're going to talk about... Probably the most pervasive fear in all of our lives. It's going to be the probably the number one. If you look at all statistics, if you've been, I've been a pastor for almost two decades. I, I've, the people I've talked to, the stuff that people go through, it's the hidden fear because nobody wants to say it. And then it's the also, but it's the most pervasive fear because everybody deals with it. And uh, it's going to be a little unique today because I know we have a few guests, uh, especially with our child dedication. And uh, you might be in here for the first time, maybe checking out church for the for for the first time. And uh, this is going to be a unique message today because it'll be the first time since we launched our church a, a little over a year ago that I'm actually have a full message about money. Yeah, I'm, I use the M word in here. We're actually going to talk about money. And here's why. Uh, I'm just going to pull it out. I'm not even going to, you know, we're not even going to cover it up or be silly about it. I'm just going to tell you straightforward. Here's why. Every statistic that I've read as a pastor actually shows us that the most pervasive fear that we fear of is the fear of finances and primarily the fear of lack. In fact, uh, the American psychological society said 80% of people in America right now go to bed with a high sense of fear with their finances. Most divorces you talk about in relational issues had to do with money. Most people who struggle with in life and make bad decisions, the fear of money makes us become the worst type of people and so if I was a bad pastor I would never talk about it but I don't want to be a bad pastor I want to be a good one and I want to be able to say and stand before God one day and say hey I helped us and, and I say us because this is an all of us fear I helped us get better at this thing called money and so I'm going to give you a couple of ground rules before I get started okay the first is this there's no second offering we already took the offering all right so this isn't like a bait and switch. I'm not taking a second offering. There's not a third offering. There's not a fourth offering. There's not like uh, the pastor's not going to go get a new car. Like It's not like any of that. That's weird. If you went to those churches, that's weird. Did somebody say weird? Yeah, that's weird. That's not biblical. Bible says don't give because you were, you were coerced into giving. Give with a cheerful heart. Give out of your own ability and your own desire to do it. So my job is not to, to, to teach you so that you give. My job is to teach you so that you – another way I like to say it is I don't want something from you. I want something for you. God doesn't want something from you. How many all know God doesn't need anything by definition, right? If he's God, God doesn't need anything. And by definition, he doesn't need your money. So he's not looking for your money. I'm not looking for your money. This is not going to me. You know, it, 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 none of that. There's no second offering. In fact, I'll go one better. You can attend this church every week of your life. Never give a dime and I will hug you and love you. I'll probably never know about it. We can ha- we can, we'll, have, we'll have fun. It'll be all good. No one will ever judge you. And guess what? You'll make it into heaven. Here's why. Because it's not a salvation issue. Jesus paid that price. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Right. He paid that price. So this is not about you making it to heaven. This is about you. And I'm going to talk about that today. This is about you having heaven now. Because Jesus is so good that he actually wanted you to have not heaven just one day. He wants you to have it now. I'm like, that's awesome. God's better than I thought he was. So we're going to learn about that today. So those are the ground rules. OK, it's all good. You don't have to worry about it. I'm not asking for money. I want to teach you something today that hopefully will you will get over our fear of finances amen all right matthew chapter 19 that's where we're gonna go so there you go i get it all out everybody just everybody take a breath it's all good okay all right matthew chapter 19 Verse 16, he says this. Someone came to Jesus with a good question. Now, this story you might know of is called The Rich Young Ruler. Now, there have been the reason, you know, one of the gifts I think God gave me is the ability to go back and preach messages for the, that other preachers have misinterpreted and taken for granted, taken advantage of. This is uh, uh, probably a message and a, a story in the Bible that's been taught a lot, and it's been misused in a way that actually I think hurts and abuses people. I'm going to teach it what I think hopefully God wanted us to see out of it. It's going to be really good today. So it's called The Rich Young Ruler, and that's who it was, the guy who came. It's teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Again, we're always thinking about how to get to heaven. He goes on to say, why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. But to answer your question, I like how Jesus does that. He doesn't really answer the question with a question. Sometimes people will ask in the church, they'll ask me a question, and I'll ask them a question with the question. be like, why don't you just answer the Bible? And I'm like, you don't read the Bible. That's what Jesus did. Anyway, so he goes, but to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep these commandments. And so he goes on to say, because the Because the rich young ruler at this point knew the commandments. He says, well, which ones? And so Jesus says, you don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't testify falsely. Honor your father, and mother. Come on, parents, say amen to that. Yeah, like you're nudging your kid right now. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Jesus does is he highlights for him the, the, the main parts of the commandments that had to do with, with people. And he goes on to say, I've obeyed the commandments. This is the rich young ruler. He's rich. He has money. He has wealth. He has possessions. And he says, I've done all of this. What else must I do? That's kind of the question we come to God. Like, God, we checked off all the boxes in your religious box. We've checked them all off. We've been really good. What else do I got to do? Because I want to make sure I'm not missing anything so I can make it through that those pearly gates. He says, Jesus told him, says, said, if you want to be perfect, and if you were here for any length of time, we've taught about that idea. When time Jesus is perfect, it means Christ like or complete. So he's saying, if you want to be like me, go and sell all your possessions, and give the money to the poor. Now, y'all have heard this before from a TV preacher who probably said, if you want to make it into heaven, send your gift. Love offering of 1995 and I'm going to send you, a, you know, a prayer cloth or something like that, right? And it was, it was something that was used in a way to make you feel like, if I give, then I'll make it into heaven. but we already talked about it. Jesus already bought that. He already bought that ticket, that ticket's paid for. Like you're already in. God already loves you. He already thinks the world of you. He already wants you to be with him. He already cares for you, you're already in the family. But we give, why did he ask them to give then? Jesus was addressing something inside of his heart. And he says, and you have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. I love this. I love it. He goes on, come follow me. He says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad. Yeah, he was mopey. Turned into Eeyore. And he says, for he had many possessions. He had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I'll tell you the truth. He kind of has this conversation with the disciples. The disciples are like, look, this guy ain't going to make it into heaven. Like, wh- we're We're in trouble. Like, we're, we're in trouble, and he says, I'll tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is an important statement, the kingdom of heaven. Everybody say that. Say, kingdom of heaven. It's an important statement because in Matthew, we see this statement all the time. And, and I'm going to teach today about kingdom of heaven, heavenly finances today, how we can have heavenly finances in our life. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Lord, thank you that you sent Jesus. We're honored that you're here, and we're honored that you are here and we are honored that you are supreme in our life God and I pray that today Lord as we talk about money God you would speak to us in a way maybe you've never spoke to us before maybe give us something unique maybe give us an angle maybe maybe an idea differently so we can walk out of your different change better in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen how many of y'all grew up in a house where as a kid you were not allowed in that room like your parents told you do not go in this room raise your hand come on like y'all grew up like that most people did my family had a home where we had uh, multiple rooms that I was not allowed in. The first room that I was not allowed in, ironically enough, was called the family room. <laughs> you can go in the living room, but you cannot go in the family. Did anybody else have the family room? And there was off limits, right? Like we had the family, the, the, you know, the couch was not for sitting. It was for looking. You know, you had, that's where we put the big King James, 10, pound Bible. On the coffee table ain't nobody ever opened it it called collected dust but it was in there and you didn't touch it that was one of the rooms the other room was my dad's office anybody was not allowed in dad's office like right the office you weren't allowed in there I realize now that I have an office why you don't let your kids in your office because it's the worst you know, I walk in pens are gone there's glue sticks everywhere my computer's weird it's it's just bad uh but the third one was uh was my parents' bedroom. How many of y'all grew up where you were awful? like you could not go in mom and dad's room, right? Come on, right you know what I'm talking about. And so I, I grew up, and one day my mom she told me, she says, Stop coming in to my room at night, Aaron. It's like stop. She said, you stop coming in my room. I was like, sometimes I get scared, and she's like, No, you need to stop. And then you stay out of my room in general, just stay out of our room. I'm like, okay. So one night I get scared because it was nighttime, and I'm like four or five or something like that, you know, and I'm I get scared in the middle of the night, I had a nightmare. So I wake up and what do you think I did as a kid? I went to mom and dad's bedroom. So I walked into mom and dad's bedroom. I get in the covers, and so I sleep that night. My dad gets up early because he's a construction worker, so he went out and left, and he's gone at like 3 or 4 in the morning. So he's gone, and uh, and so school time comes, and my mom wakes me up, and this was her way of keeping me from doing this. She got tired of it. How many of y'all parents just get tired of it? Like, when well, you talk to your kids and over and over and over again. You're like, this is the 18th time. I have told you the same thing, and you keep saying yeah, but then you keep doing it. So, like, what do we got to do now? At this point, it's either I give you away, or you listen, right? And so at this point, my mom's at this point, so I'm laying in bed. She's mad. And so she wakes me up. This is how she wakes me up, okay? I go to counseling for this. She just wakes me up. She goes like this. She, she, she shoved me a little bit, and she had turned her eyelids inside out. Can anybody do that? You turn her eyelids inside out. She rolled her eyes in the back of her head. She started whispering in this voice, Herod, I am an alien. I'm come to take you. And I was Four. Now, imagine being woken up like that. I'm like, ah! I'm like staring at her. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, well, where's my mom? And she goes, I told you not to come in my room. And she's freaking me out. So I'm like, so I learned that day never to go in mom's bedroom. So when I tell you that story, isn't it interesting in our life how we, we have parts of our life like rooms that we love to invite God into? In fact, I'll give it to you like this. We, there, there's a, this is a floor plan of a home. And let's say this is your life. And in a lot of parts of our life, you know, our life is broken up into different rooms or compartments or different areas of our life. You know, inside, you know what I find funny? What's funny is like we invite God into almost every room. Have you noticed that? Like if something's wrong with your health and you're sick, you're like, God, come into this room. I need you in here. Come on, you can come in, make a room, get your bed out, put your poster up. Come on, God, you're welcome in this room. This is your room. Come on, I'm I'm sick. I need your healing. Come in and help me with this. Y'all, we're easy to invite them in. The room of our of our of our uh you know with our family. You know, maybe it's with your kids and your wife. And you're like, God, come in and help me with my wife. She's crazy. Lord, help me, my husband. She he don't know what he's doing. And you know, my kids are just, I don't know why you gave them to me. What in the world was this? This is a cruel joke. You're like, God, come in this room. I need you in this room. Like with our family, you know, other people are like, you know, in the room of our of our office, you know, in our, our maybe our, our job. Like, God, help me with my my boss. Lord, I need your help with, you know, give me a raise. Give me some vacation time. Help me with my commute. We invite God into every room of our life. But when it comes to money, we shut the door and we like you ain't coming in here. Uh-uh, like this is our room. This is my room. I run this room. There is yellow caution tape. Jesus, you ain't allowed in here. Don't even knock. You can bless every other part of our home, every other part of my life, except for, for this. And every statistic would show you that the room Jesus needs to be in, maybe the most, is that room. It's the room of your finances. And yet we, we don't invite him in. I've noticed this, that Jesus will go to every room you invite him into. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself into places. He he's waiting for. Will you? Will, can I come in? Can I come be a part? Can I come help? I would love to come help you. I would love to. That's what he was doing with the rich young ruler. He was saying, "I'd love to come be a part of your life." I. What's funny about the rich young ruler? He thought he was asking to be a part of Jesus' life. Jesus was asking to be a part of his. And he was just saying, like, "Come on, like I, I have this, I have this room that you and I, are so scared to invite God into." Now, the truth is, the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus was talking about it, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, when he said kingdom of heaven, you and I, we see that. We see a destination, don't we? We see heaven as like, okay, God, I want to go to heaven. What must I do? In fact, that was a conversation that the rich young ruler had with Jesus. Every time that Jesus talked about, especially when he used the kingdom of heaven reference, he was talking about you having heaven then and having heaven now. Jesus is double for your trouble. He can give you more than you thought. So you came to Jesus. Here's what's so cool about you and I. We come to Jesus if you're a Christian in here. You came into Jesus' the world of Jesus primarily because you trying to get to heaven. And then when you got on that ride, you were like, wow, this is awesome. I can have heaven then and now. But you got to do it God's way. And so the kingdom of way of doing finances, the kingdom of of heaven was all driven around this idea. And so Jesus was saying like, hey, like there's a way you could have heaven with your finances. You just got to learn to let it go. And when you and I see that conversation that they had, what you also saw was the reason he couldn't do it, which is the reason we can't do it oftentimes. And it's not just towards the church. It could be a reason why you're not generous in life is because you and I have the fear of lack. It's so our number one fear of finances. In fact, I'll give you the definition of what the fear of lack is. This is literally what the fear of lack is. The fear of lack is if I let go of what I have now, I won't have any more. That if I let go of what's in my hand, I will therefore now have less than what I had before. That's the fear. Because you and I in here are probably good people, right? Let's just, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, okay? I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You're probably a good person. You probably, for the most part, make wise decisions. I'm just speculating, okay? Let's just say you, you are, have a good heart and good decision. You, for the most part, want to do something right. And when you're faced with a moment where you could be generous in the world, which, by the way, God brought that to you. You think you just ran upon it on accident. God showed it to you. He revealed it to you for a reason. The moment you have an opportunity to be generous with what God gave you, you, there it is. That fear overcomes you because you and I think as soon as I let it go, I won't have any more. And so I wanted to talk about today three ways that we can overcome that fear, three ways we can overcome that statistic. The truth is when I set out, my wife and I set out to plant this church, we wanted to be a relevant church. You know what relevant means? Relevant means answering the questions that people are asking. You know what non-relevant churches do? They answer questions people aren't asking. They start talking about revelation and the, the, you know, the horn beast and revelation., hey, nobody, nobody I've been in ministry for two decades as a pastor. No one's ever come up and asked me that, but we have pastors who come up and give giant theological sermons about, about the end times and yet will uh, completely ignore money and finances because they're afraid of what might happen. And the truth is, what could happen is that you and will be better with your money so you can be generous and actually live the blessed life and be rich and not get rich. So, like, I'm trying to be the opposite. I'm trying to be, we're trying to be a church that answers the questions that you're asking. And the truth is, you, we all, based on statistics and based on, you know this. Right now, eight out of ten people in this church right now, if not more, are struggling right now with your finances somewhere. And you struggle with this fear. I want to, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm like a demon slayer. I like to attack them straight head on. So, I'm going to fight that demon for you on your behalf today. Three ways to overcome the fear of lack. Three ways to overcome the fear of lack. Number one, and let it go. Number one is have a heavenly heart. So we want to talk about how God said kingdom of heaven. I want to invite you into this heaven idea. You need to have a heavenly heart. All giving, to let go, all giving starts, we must first have the right heart. This is the root of our giving. I like their interaction, Matthew chapter 19, what Jesus talks to him about. The original question he asked him is about commandments. Did you notice that he didn't list all 10? Jesus in that conversation listed the commandments that had to do with people. They, the, the commandments that he wanted to highlight to the man is he said, because the man goes, what must I do? What do I got to be? What do I got to value? And Jesus was literally saying, I need to know what you value. Because if you don't value the things I value, you'll never give, it to, give to them. Like if you don't have my heart... Because you're a new creation in Christ, you got to have a new heart. Because your heart, and my heart, when we were born, was deceptive and ugly and wicked and evil. And as good as you think you are, independent of God, you're not good at all, right? So I love the gospel. A great theologian said, you're worse than you think you are, but the gospel is better than you think it is. So Jesus wants you to take on his heart and value the things that he values. And most questions he asks you about your life is, what do you value? What do you value? I find, I've noticed, I don't know if you're like this, I find ways to get money to the things that I value. I never give things to things I don't value, but I find money, I find ways. That's why I don't buy tube socks many, many times. I buy them every once in a while. But let me just tell you, when the new iPhone came out, guess where I was? Because <laughs> I value the iPhone. Some of you in here to get a Spurs ticket, you'd sell three of your kids just to get the tickets on the front row. Why? Because you value something in your heart and your heart led you to. I'm telling you, God is worried and concerned about what you value the most. The key thought here is that kingdom giving comes from a kingdom heart. Kingdom giving comes from a kingdom heart. If you value the things of the kingdom, if you value the people of the kingdom, then you'll start to give towards the people of the kingdom. He's concerned about your heart. In fact, Proverbs says it like this. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your, your heart. He doesn't say guard your hands and guard your head, guard your money. He says guard your heart because everything you do, not some things, not partial things, not a few things, everything you do flows from it. So if you don't guard your heart and make sure your heart values the things that God values, you'll never give towards it. That's why, like, you, you just don't give to, to things you don't value. That's why none of you, including me, write bonus checks to the IRS. You don't do it. Never. You never will. You won't write them a Christmas card. Hey, thanks for doing what you're doing. No. Value is a big deal. So the question you got to ask yourself, that inevitably leads us to the question, like, then what does God value? Right? Like, what does God value? What does he hold valuable. What does he hold in his heart that would be valuable? I'm so glad that you asked that because value is always determined by what you pay for it. Now, let me ask you a question. Most of you know this in here, the famous scripture, John 3, what? John three sixteen, right? What does that Bible verse say? Y'all know, even if you're not a Christian here, most people know it. It says this, it says, you know, because Tim Tebow knows. Anyway, so uh, uh, John 3, 16, for God so, what? For God so? Okay, so love. So he had a value there. So it was in his heart. So for God so loved the, what did he love? He loved the the world, okay, so so for God so loved the world, then he what? He what? He, he gave. Okay, so period. Let's just stop there. So God loved the world, which means he didn't love the world, the actual world, Mother Earth. He loved the people. He loved the people so much he sent his son and wrapped him and made him look like a person so that you and I can relate to a person and relate to God and see him in flesh so we can know how much he loved us. He gave Why? Because he had the value in his heart. I love Acts 20. He says it like this. It says, be shepherds of the church of God. He's talking to me, not you. Pastors, you better be nice. You better be good. You better lead them well. That's why when I prayed about this message about money, I'm like, God, I don't want to talk about money. He goes, you better talk about money. If you love them, you'll talk about it. He rebuked me. So anyway, he's rebuking here the shepherds of the church of God, the church of God, the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Jesus died for this. We got to value it. And so if you have a value in your heart, your money tends to go towards it. When Jesus was talking to him, he said, listen, rich young ruler, I need to know that you value people. My life's about people. I want to be about people. You need to be about people. Eventually in your life to get over the fear of lack, your life has to be about people. Number two is this. So you have a heavenly heart. You need to have a heavenly head. So Jesus checks his heart first, says, I need to know what you value. Now I want you to check your head. How do you even think about giving? How do you see what you even have in your hand? This is the revelation of our giving. John, uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 21 says this. I love it. He says, so if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions. Now, when I read that, I kind of, can I give you some insight to like my personal devotion time? This is how I read the Bible. I talk to God all the time when I'm reading the Bible. I read the Bible. I read Jesus say that to him, and I'm kind of like, come on, Jesus. That's kind of, that's a lot. Can't he just give some of his possessions? I mean, if he's rich, then if he gave some of them, that's a lot, right? Like, why are you asking? Because it seems like in all other parts of Scripture, I don't see you asking anybody giving all. Everybody say all. I'm like, all, that's a lot. All, is that like some? What's the Greek of all that like Greek of all? I looked it up, and you know what it was? All. So I'm like, Jesus. What? Oh, I, are you sure? And, and Jesus kind of talks to me again. This is we we argue me and him a lot. And he said to me, he said, "Aaron, you're missing it." I said, "Well, that's clear, uh, but what where am I missing it at?" And he goes, um, rem- "I gave him all of it anyway, and if I wanted to, I could give it back to him." He said, so, He's just a steward. Everybody say steward. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you might not even heard that song. Not, not steward, not little, not steward little. Like steward, steward. He's just a manager. That ain't even his money. God told me, that's my money. I gave it to him so that he could be a blessing. And the reason I asked him to let it go is because I want to make sure that the things that he possess don't possess him. I'm like, oh, okay. The key thought here. I'm an owner of nothing, steward of, of everything. I'm an owner of nothing, steward of everything. That's a value. That's actually a value at our church. That is one of our vision statements. We are owners of nothing, stewards of everything. I don't even own this church. You are not my people. You're God's people. Did you know that? You're, this is God's church. I'm a steward of this church, which means I, I, I am held accountable for what happens here. That's why I'm preaching on money today, because one day I'm going to stand before God and he's going to ask me. I asked you to preach on money so that I can help some people with their money because I don't want their money. I want them to have I want them to be rich and not get rich. I want them to know how to deal with it so they can be blessed. Did you do what I asked you to do? And I I want to say to God, yeah, not no. And so I'm a steward of everything that God has given me. I like what Psalms 24 says. This it says Psalms 24 says the earth is the Lord's ever say Lord's and everything. Ever say everything. Yeah, I, I checked. That means everything. Everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God owns it all. Last time I checked, the other parts of Scripture say He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He paves His streets with gold. He doesn't lack for anything. He does not need your money. He wants you to see your money, the money that you have in your hand, as from Him so that when you see that, you know that if it leaves your hand just as easily, it could come back into it. If my money supply is dependent on me, it's limited. But if my money supply is dependent on God, it's unlimited. That seems like a better deal. That seems like what Jesus was talking about. He's saying, you want to have heaven with your finances? Who's to say? What if the story, can we play just like, can we have fun? I mean, if you don't like have fun in church, then this is not the church for you. But if you want to have fun, this is how I could see it happening. If he walked to the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler and he said, look, I want you to go sell everything. And the rich young ruler said, bet, I'm in, whatever you want. He went and did it and came back. Who's to say Jesus didn't didn't have double waiting for him when he came back? That happened all the time in the Bible. That guy missed out on a miracle moment. What could have been? I don't want my life to be a what could have been. You know, like what could have, should have, would have, should have, could have. Like, I wish I could have. I wish I should have. I could have had a moment. Don't do it. I'm just telling you, if God tells you to do something, do it. I was uh, standing in about two years ago, standing at that door, and uh, we were two weeks out of planting our church. We originally was plant our church in January of 2018, and I was two weeks out planting our church, and we had a crazy chaos moment where, where I had some pastors in my life ask me to Put our church on pause. They said, you don't have to, but man, if, if you could, there's, a, there's, there's, there's chaos moment. We need your help in. It's only you and your wife can do it. Will you pray about it? Ask God what he would have you do. And we prayed about it. We heard God tell us to go help this other church. And I was bawling at that door, bawling, crying my eyes out. My wife was right there, we're crying, we didn't know. We're like, God, we just felt like you asked us to give this back to you, but I don't understand. I just I've been dreaming of this for twelve years. Or no, not longer than that, because I was I was dreaming of this since I was 12 years old. So it was over 20 years. I was right about to touch it. And God asked for it back. And I remember walking out the door and I, I just heard God so clearly, He was like, just yes, this is what you need to do. And I remember looking to heaven, and I said, God, why would you have me do this? He said, Aaron, I gave it all to you anyway. I could give it back. I could give it back. I could give it back. And my wife affirmed that that statement. And then fast forward, October 2019, and look who's sitting in a church. Y'all think this just came out of nowhere. Y'all think that, like, this came from a moment where God said, give it all away. And I wasn't strong. I got to be honest with you. I wasn't strong enough. My wife had to go, no, no, we're going to do this. Come on. How many of y'all thankful for a good woman, right? Good wife. And, and, and it's that moment where God, the fear comes, if I let it go, I won't have any more. And the truth is, in the kingdom, every time you let it go, you gain. You're you're proof of that. God's showing off with you right now. You didn't even know you're part of the story. You just brush, brush the dust off your shoulder, you're like I know, I know who I am. If we don't see our money correctly, we can't let it go. It's all God's. You're steward of everything. Last one is this: you have a heavenly heart, heavenly head, have heavenly hands. Jesus shows him where to give. This is the practicality of our giving. Verse twenty, he says, "I obeyed all these commandments." The young man replied, "What? What else must I? What else must I do?" And I like what he says in verse twenty-one. If you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions, and give the money to the poor. The poor there meant people. Jesus's ministry at that time primarily was to the poor because that were the people that were rejected by most people, and so he was ministering to the people. And Jesus was saying, "You need to be about the people. Give your money to the ministry to the people." That God desires you, to desire, desires you to give to the people. You're blessed to be a blessing in order. So in other words, my money, the key thought, my money must be intentional so it can be eternal. You, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Come on, somebody. Like I've never seen a hearse have a U-Haul attached to it. You can try to take it all you want. It ain't going with you. But you can send it ahead. That God's got a plan for your blessing. God, there's a reason. You, there's got to be a reason God gave you something in your hand. And in the kingdom, it's always to let go of it. Always to let go of it. So how do we give towards the church? How do we be stewards of that? What's the proper way? Because I recognize, you know, you could come from a church background where maybe you came from a certain denomination or a certain religion or a certain sect of Christianity that never taught you about giving. And you might come in here on a church regular basis and you tip. So which means you give a 10 and a 5 and a 20 every time you're in your life. Pastor, that was a good message. I tip you. I got you, dog. (laughs) Some of you in here, you give a couple hundred bucks every once in a while when you feel like you're just generous. You're like, I just feel good about this. I'm like, hey, I got a little bonus. You know what I'm saying? I hit the lotto. Man, I hit scratchers. I'm good. Here's a hundo, Jesus. got you. Some of you in here are faithful God-fearing tithers. That's what you do. And some of you in here tithe, and you don't even know why. So whether you fall on any of that spectrum from the beginning to the end, I want to teach you just a basic biblical truth about giving. There's two general thoughts of general types of giving. If you look and you study Scripture all from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all throughout Scripture, there's a basic general premise of of the principles of giving. And there's fringe teaches Fringe teachings that can kind of pick and choose different verses to make it fit a theology. But I'm telling you, if you look at Scripture, there's two primary givings. And it's in Malachi chapter 3. kind of highlights it. Verse 7 says this. says, return to me, and I will return to you. This is God. Listen Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And he goes on to say, will a man rob God? You are yet robbing me But by you. Say, how, how have I robbed you? In tithes. Everybody say tithes. And then offerings. Everybody say Offerings. Offerings, yeah, and then he goes on to say in verse nine, "You are cursed with a curse, and you are robbed Before you are robbing me, the whole nation of you." Now pause for a minute, just so you know. Some teachers will actually teach that God's curse you. God don't curse you. He's saying you're not under the umbrella. There's a curse in the world. You can take yourself out of it if you just make me put yourself under me. He's saying, I'm, "I'm telling you, there's blessing out there. Just get under my blessing, get under my umbrella. There's a whole lot of cursing, a whole lot of rain. don't be wet, be dry." He says, "Bring the whole tithe." Everybody say whole. Whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. I love that. There'll be food in my house. If you look at all throughout Scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 14 all the way into the New Testament when Jesus affirmed it, that local tithe was always meant for the local church. Because it was always meant for where the temple built up people, ministered to people so that the people of the world were blessed. Now, I'm saying, again, this has nothing to do with heaven. Again, you could come to the church forever. And I'll smile at you, and I'll give you the greatest hug. It's all good. It doesn't affect me. I'm introducing to you something for you, not from you, that I would love for you to potentially take part in the first type of giving, and that's tithing. And that's defined as 10% of your, local, of your income to your local church, which, by the way, we don't give a tithe. We return it. Bible's clear about that. It's all God's anyway. He's just asking for 10% back. And if we fuss about 10% back to God, that seems like a pretty good deal to me. If you ever made that deal with anybody in the world and they're like, okay, look, we want to split this thing. You anticipate, honestly, you would probably go 50-50 would be a good deal. He's better than that. He said you can have 90 of it. I just want to see where your heart is with the 10. Because you need to return it to me, because it's a tithe. And if you can't start with 10%, can I just say this? Start somewhere today. someone, everybody in here has a step. So if you can't start at 10, start, what about one? Somebody's like, well, that's not biblical. I don't, yet yeah, giving is biblical. Start somewhere. Steps of the faith, steps of the righteous are or order of the Lord. Steps, steps, everybody say Steps. I'm about steps. So if you want to start with one, then you can start with two. Then you start with three. Then you start with four. Then you get to 10. Then you start doing offerings. Then you start doing other things. I'm telling you, God starts having fun. You can start having fun with your money. I'm at the point in my life right now where I've been giving my whole life. I'm at the point in my life right now where I'm trying to like, I'm trying to outgive God. Like I'm trying to like trick him, you know, and then everyone like it's out of nowhere. Weird things happen and he wins because he's God. But it all starts with something. And somebody's step of faith today is one percent, could be two percent, three percent. Whatever God's speaking to you, I always say that. Like even when we take up our offering, don't give because I told you to give. I never tell you to give. Give because whatever God tells you to give, you should do that. Do do what God says. Do what God says. Second is this is offerings. So you had tithes primarily, then you had offerings. And offerings are typically defined as anything above and beyond the tithe. It's getting quiet in here. It's just like giving. Sorry, sorry, okay. All right, we'll just open up the jacket. Okay. Offerings are, are, you know, anything above and beyond the tithe. And oftentimes, if you look at the scriptures for uh, building projects or for missions or for, you know, reaching the poor or, you know, the, the widow, or it was all unique areas where God honestly wanted to use your over and above to help somebody be blessed. And the result of that often bring increase in the person who gave it and bless those around us who received it tithes and offerings I talk more about this in next steps but I want to just introduce that to you that's the most biblical model of giving I've ever seen and I've seen people who there are families in here who practice this on a regular basis and they could probably come up here and take 10 20 30 minutes and tell you all the stories of their life and how God came through for them I want you to borrow my faith if you've never done it borrow my faith to know that God can do whatever he wants in your life you can get past your fear of lack if you just move past that fear I'm going to pray with this. I'm going to close with this thought. Um, I like in Matthew chapter 19, he says this at the end. He goes, and Peter said to him, you've given up everything to follow you. We've done everything. Like, what will we get? And I like, isn't that funny how Peter, Peter's known as the, just so you don't know, just so you know, Peter's known as the big mouth inside of the disciples. He just always said something. He's, he was foot in the mouth. He had the foot, foot and mouth disease. That's what he had. Yeah. He walked around. That's why I like him a lot. You know, he's a lot of people say I have a big mouth. So, you know. Nobody said no? Okay, well, fine. All right. No, pastor, that's okay. All right. Um, and so, and everyone who's given up the houses, brothers, sisters, this is what Jesus said. Everyone who's given up anything in my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return in heaven. We don't give to get, but it's a neat byproduct of our faith. In fact, it, reading scriptures like this to Jewish people, they're like, they totally make sense. Because when you plant a seed when a farmer plants a seed, you know what they don't expect? They don't expect it not to grow. They expect a return. And Jesus more often than not walks through all the scripture and say, you give, don't give to get, but I'm just telling you, it's okay to sow seed like a farmer and just wait for to see what God does. Like he challenges us. In fact, the one part he actually says the testament. My encouragement to you is to do that. I want to give you um, some insight to our church in 2 weeks everybody say 2 weeks in 2 weeks we as a church are going to have an opportunity to practice this step of faith and get over this fear we as a church are busting at the seams look around i mean there's there's just we we have so many people here and we know god's doing something unique at our church, five to six hundred people on a weekend service. And we're breaking every attendance record that I know of, and friends that I have, found, you know, around the country. And God's doing amazing things at this church. But here's what I know: I know that when God does something unique like this, He doesn't bring you to something; He brings you through something. Come on, somebody, right? And so God has a plan for this church, and we have to be planned and prepared and ahead of time so we know what God has for us. And I was praying, I was asking God, I was like, God, can you give us a building? God, can you give us land? And I, helped, I heard him rebuke me. God rebukes me a lot. Have you noticed that? God rebuked me. He said, Aaron, why would I give you if you're not, give you something, give you your, your, your next step if you're not ready for it? You need to be ready for it. And he told me specifically we need to be ready for it financially. The worst thing we could do is have somebody come and offer us land or a building and say, well, we don't have any money. I wish we could take it. Come on, how many of y'all would it? that would be awful. And he said, Aaron, you guys gotta start preparing and planning right now. So we're gonna take a vision offering in two weeks. And you know what? We're all gonna to give towards that collectively. My wife and I have been planning about it. We've been preparing for it. We're like, God, what are you going to have us do? We're going to sacrificially give. We're not just going to give. We're going to sacrificially give above and beyond our tithes and offerings towards the Vision 2020 offering. Guess what? Our staff is doing that. Our volunteers and leaders, they've been told that they're planning and preparing right now for that. I'll do one better for you. Our church collectively is going to do that. Every dime that comes in that weekend is going to our Vision 2020 offering. We don't have the margin to give away a week of offerings. We're believing God. Pastor Jeff came in, one of my pastors, and did our team night, and he he had this statement, and I'm taking it from him. It's going to be our statement. Heaven's real. Hell is real. Eternity is a long time, and this is not a game. I am here to make a permanent stake inside of this city and inside of this world. We want to make a difference. And there are families that have come in, and their lives have been changed simply because we took a step of faith. So I'm inviting you into that step of faith. Will you pray? This is the two questions I'm asking. Will you pray today? Will you pray this week and next week when we take our vision offering on November 10th? Will you pray and ask God what he would have you do as a family to sacrifice for our next step? Amen?